From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, we're not actually making this hmm. episode of Soccer Made in, in Portland, Portland in Portland. Hmm. We're in Dallas or Portland or, Soccer or, Made in Dallas. Yes, or Frisco, Plano, Texas. Oh God, so not really confusing. Dallas. I, I I feel like I've been saying I'm going to Dallas all week, but it really, really is not Dallas. It feels like we're in the Wilsonville. <laughs> like it's not bad. Like if you live in Wilsonville, it's not bad. I like going out to Wilsonville. They got kind of better restaurant choices a lot of times well, that, than Portland mm. does. Ooh. Is that my hot take? <laughs> that might be a hot take. Although I don't know, I, I don't know anything about Wilsonville, so I don't really have a. I'm a very like port, Portland-centric person. I know okay. a lot about like all the neighborhoods in Portland. I don't go out to the suburbs all that often. Okay, well, we're definitely in the suburbs right now, as you mentioned. We're kind of in a suburb of a suburb because we're not even in Frisco. Yeah. We're in Plano, Texas, which yeah. I don't know. There's something about the word Plano that makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it feels very David Koreshi. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh yeah, we are we we're far away from Portland. Yeah, we <laughs> are at that. <laughs> we have ventured far and wide to bring you this episode of Soccer Made in Portland ahead of the Portland Timbers playoff game, the first time they've been to the postseason two years in a row. Hard to predict what's going to happen tomorrow as we're recording here on Tuesday, tomorrow at Toyota Stadium, FC Dallas versus Portland, but we'll get to predictions soon. We've got to look back on the predictions from this last weekend where yep. Jamie, I really loved your prediction at the time, but <laughs> didn't quite play out. No, not at all. Yeah, I predicted a uh, Timbers 1, uh, Whitecaps 0 uh, as the scoreline uh, in that regular season finale in Vancouver. Uh, I was, th- I think going into it, I, we were sort of talking about maybe the Timbers are going to go with a mixed lineup, and, and that's sort of what I had in my mind with the prediction. <laughs> they went with a complete second team. There was a few players in there like Jeff Adnello that, you know, coming back from injury, you, you might say he's not a second team player. But in that case, they switched up the lineup, all 11 players from the playoff clinching win the week before against RSL. Yeah, we weren't really too <laughs> good as far as predicting no. the future on that one. It's weird because when I saw the 11, of course I know that people, some people are not going to be happy about that 11 because they want to go for the win. Particularly how the game played out in Colorado, the win would have yeah. uh, been pretty good. But also, like when you counted the 11, there were seven players in that 11 that had been regular starters at one point this year or another. Which, you know, we've talked about depth all year, and we've even debated whether the depth was as good as we thought it was in June or whatnot. But I still thought it was an 11 that could have won the game. Uh, As is, it definitely put them in a position where it didn't seem like they... Well, it seemed like they were willing to embrace the consequences of not winning the game. Yeah. Um, And yeah, let's get a little bit more into that. Your prediction also didn't pan out. Armentero's goal. I... did not think he had a tremendous game. I, I think, mm-hmm. to be fair to him, he was limping from the second minute, and Sarvesti said that contributed to him coming off the field uh, in, I think, the 66th yeah. minute. Um, but I would say zero points all around for us. And yeah. I mean, I, I, your one nothing prediction that the Timbers would win is a way better prediction the way the game played out than Samuel Armenteros would score a goal. Even though... I, the Timbers went into halftime down two goals, so that wasn't even that close either. But zeros... 
Let's agree on that. Second yeah. week in a w- row, we've agreed to <laughs> kind of uh, merge together and decide the scores together. But this was an easy one. Let's talk about the lineup because yeah. I think this is maybe the only talking point from the game. Because as you alluded, Jeff Antonella is really the only person that played on Sunday who I think is a legitimate threat to start on Wednesday against Dallas. Uh, that's certainly a talking point. But just the strategy of essentially betting on rest rather than betting on a home game or betting on the chances to win a home game. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, going into it, I, I, I think Savarese was in, uh, he had a difficult choice to make. It, the chances of the Timbers moving out of fifth place were low. Even if they won in Vancouver and had a big performance, the chances were they were going to ultimately be in fifth place. And, and it didn't turn out that way. But as I think he said after the game, player said, you know, that that's you can look back and say, oh, well, with hindsight, maybe would have, would have done it differently. But I, I think it's impossible to fault him for going that direction. I, I think knowing that the Timbers would be playing three or four days after, as it turns out, Sunday through Wednesday, the turnaround is really quick. The Timbers would have been in a difficult spot if they still had to go on the road and had started all their starters on Sunday. I think given that they didn't do that, that puts them in a much better position now to potentially get a result against Dallas tomorrow. So I, I think... It's disappointing because Dallas slipped in Colorado and suddenly the idea of that home playoff game seemed like a possibility that Timbers had a better lineup on the field. By that time, the Timbers, I think, were down 2-0. Um, maybe even had already... Got, I think that was very late in the uh, game uh, over in Colorado. So uh, the games were already pretty much done. There was no way the Timbers could come back at that point. But yeah, I think ultimately Savaresi probably made the right decision because when you're looking at the probabilities and the chances, I, I think it was better to bet on rest and knowing that the turnaround was going to be so quick than the potential of maybe if somebody, if one of these two teams, Dallas or Seattle, drops points, that they could potentially move up the standings. You ready for my second hot take of this episode <laughs> already? I don't even think it was a hard choice. I think you have to put your team in the best position to win with the information you know at the time. And the information they knew at the time, as they were preparing for Sunday's game last week, was that Seattle is a better team than San Jose, that Dallas is a better team than Colorado, and that a rested team is going to perform better than a non-rested team. I don't think it was that difficult of a choice. Did things work out the way that they planned? I don't even think that you can say that. I think they knew this was a possibility, and you just have to play the hand you were dealt. Now, in sports, you kind of create your own hand a little bit. The Timbers maybe should have picked up some points earlier in the season to not put, not put themselves in Sunday situation. But given Sunday's circumstances, I think it was an easy choice. You rest the team. You face the reality that Seattle's likely to win. Dallas is likely to win. And even if they did, that doesn't mean you're out of the playoffs if you have to go out on the road. You go on the road with your strongest team, and you see if you can win. And I think a lot of people around the league think the Timbers can win this game on Wednesday. And a big reason for it is because they rested their starters on Sunday. Yeah, and and as uh, I think it's important to point out too, it, Dallas did not rest their starters against Colorado, so they are going to be dealing. And I, I think as Jeff Anella actually pointed out after the game, you know they played their starters, they played them in altitude on the road. They're coming back to Dallas, which should be you know more favorable to be coming home. But they are going to be dealing with a very tight turnaround, whereas the Timbers aren't. And I think that's been a big talking point this week, whether that maybe gives the advantage a little bit to the Timbers uh, having the rested team going to this game, even though they're on the road. Before we get even more into the sort of the Dallas talk, which I think is the main, obviously the main interest right now, I just wanted to ask: Do you think we learned anything from Sunday's performance in in terms of the given that the what lineup was out there? 
Not really. Uh, I think we're going to talk about Jeff Antonella a little bit. I think that's really the most salient lessons because how he approached his return game from separating his shoulder, shoulder twice against Dallas the last time the Timbers played Dallas, I think really informs the most interesting lineup decision ahead of Wednesday. Uh, I think maybe you can say you learned a little bit about Marco Farfan, unfortunately, because he was obviously at fault for the second goal. Uh, but I think one of the things that I learned from just being there at Vancouver, just as you were, is I'm not even sure if the Timbers started a full team, they would have won that game anyway. When you're on the field at BC Place and you see how much emotionally is invested by that team and that crowd into giving Alfonso Davies the best go away possible, I'm not exactly sure that the Timbers' full strength 11 wins that game on Sunday. I mean, it just felt like it was going to be Alfonso Davies' day no matter what. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think it would have been different with a, a full choice 11, given that the Timbers really gave up two goals. Um, yeah. I, I mean, sort of around mistakes, sort of around things that you at least think that a different back line might have done better in the situation, no, particularly the second goal. But in terms of the space that Davies got on the first goal. Yeah, no, it's good to not separate those t- too much because it's easy to look at the highlight in the second goal and just go, oh my gosh, look at the mistake. But the first goal too, I mean, they're just letting Davies carry the ball to within a comfortable range. And I know a lot of people are going to criticize Jeff Antonella for not having stronger hands on that one. But Alfonso Davies had both posts to pick out on that one. I mean, Jeff couldn't really guess one way or another. Um, and I guess... Given the way that those goals happen, I kind of just think that maybe even the full-strength Timbers team isn't there to respond to the occasion. I think, um, like Giovanni Savarese said, they maybe offered Alfonso Davies too much respect in that first half. And I honestly, I don't want to cast uh, cast doubt on the performances of what the first-choice 11 would have been, but I'm un- I'm not convinced that the first-choice 11, particularly the way the team has performed on the road, would have... Uh, would have stepped up early in the game and said, no, not today. We're not letting Alfonso Davies do this. Yeah, I mean, there was no guarantee. And I think that's another point to this. There was no guarantee that if he started his first 11, that meant automatic win anyway. So that was something that in making that decision, it wasn't just, oh, we'll start the second team and get a loss. We'll start the first team and get a win. What do we want to do? There was a lot up in there no matter what. I, I, I do think coming out of it, I think along with seeing where Jeff Nella was at, I wanted to see where Samuel Armenteros was at. Ooh, good call. Yeah, we should talk about yeah. this. And so I think that for me was one of the things that came out of the performance. I, I hear a tone change <laughs> here. I, I, I mean, I just don't think he did much. And, and you know, you whenever you look at a forward that there's factors involved, if, if he's not getting good service and he's playing with a second team, that's a factor. I do think also he came up limping in the first or second minute and he seemed at times during the game that that was uh, bothering him a little bit. And so maybe this is not the game to really judge where Sammy Armenteros is at. And it's, like I said, Savarese said that contributed him taking him off the field. But when you're going into the playoffs and you're sort of looking at what your depth looks like at forward, who's the player that can be the Maxi Rudy of 2015 if the Timbers need someone to come off the bench? I don't think you got much confidence about Armenteros being that guy at yeah. this point coming out of that game. No, I think, uh, to be quite honest with you, I if I have to bring on a forward for Jeremy Obobese in like the 75th or 80th minute on Wednesday, I'm bringing in Lucas Milano. I think it was a bad matchup for Samuel Armenteros because the guile and the craftiness that we've seen him have so much success with when he's playing at his best seemed to be completely nullified by, by Daniel Henry and Kendall Waston. 
I don't think it really was a service issue, although definitely they could have provided him with more chances. But I felt like in the first half, there were some chances for him to win some individual battles, to claim some balls that were coming toward him. And Waston was just better. Henry was just better. And at this point in the season, I think we maybe even talked about it on last week's show, you wanted to see Armenteros make his claim. I even put my side bet on Samuel Armenteros. And quite frankly, I, I definitely think he should be in the 18 on Wednesday. But I'm wondering under what circumstances he actually does become a better choice than Lucas Milano if Jeremy Obobasi has to come off. Yeah, I think for me, Jeff Anel was a different case. I thought overall he he looked like the injuries weren't bothering him. And we know what he's done this year. I think this was a really important game for him to come in, sort of have that chance to just reintegrate into the lineup, uh, get, get him get back on the field um make sure he can play at full strength isn't really thinking about his shoulders and i think he did that and so i think for me i would i he would be the guy that i think should be in the starting lineup wednesday i i beyond 100 percent agree i if i were to say 100 percent degree agree <laughs> it wouldn't adequately describe how i feel about this one i think jeff antonella has shown that when he is healthy he is at a level that would make him the Timbers' best goalkeeper. You can look at Sunday's performance and ask if he gave a performance that was better than Steve Clark had given the week before. But to me, he showed he's healthy, at least. And I think if you have a healthy Jeff Atanella, the question isn't so much like comparing what Jeff Atanella did against Vancouver to what Steve Clark did against Real Salt Lake. It's saying, based on the breadth of information we have about these two goalkeepers, who is the most likely person to perform best over the next six games? Because it's not just about one game. Whoever you pick for Wednesday, you likely, in my mind, have to stick with through the playoffs at that point. You've decided in this game that is a must win at this point, we're going with this person. And if you win it, you're not going to bench that person for Sunday's game. You won the game. Not unless you win it like 5-4 or something (laughs) like that. So you have to anticipate this choice is going to name a goalkeeper for the rest of the playoffs. For me... I would bet on Jeff Antonella having six good games a bet before Steve Clark having six good games. And nothing against Steve Clark. Jeff Antonella is just a really good goalkeeper. Yeah. Fun fact, Jake Gleason did get a start in the uh, uh, 2015 Animals right. Cup run, but that was not a decision. It was, a, I think, an illness for, to Kawarsi. Um, yeah, the, it was the, game. Uh, the flu. He got the <laughs> flu temporarily. And um, shout out to Jake Gleason. He, uh, I got to see him this week. He's doing well coming back from surgery as people know, cause it was announced earlier this year, he was out for the rest of the year. So just want to say shout out to Jake Gleason. It was good to see, uh, him in good spirits this week. And, uh, I think, uh, given his tenure at this club, everybody who supports PTFC will be happy to know that Jake Gleason's on his way back. So let's move on to, I think, what everyone's thinking about right now. Tomorrow's playoff game, knockout round game. The winner of the game will move on to the Western Conference semifinal series against either Seattle or more likely Sporting Kansas City. The loser will have the offseason to think about that loss. (laughs) Boy, I think it is interesting to think about what Portland's mindset will be like if they lose, because I think there is a feeling... Uh, particularly with how they handled the week leading into the Vancouver game, particularly with how they performed against Real Salt Lake, that there's going to be some disappointment if they lose this one. They're on the road. So on one hand, you think, okay, road teams are not supposed to be favored in playoff games. And maybe you can't consider Portland the favorites, but I think around the Timbers team, there is a comfort with the situation that they're in. And there's going to be a disappointment if they're not playing on Sunday. Yeah, I I think there's a few different ways to look at that. In terms of the Timbers going on the road, 
we've seen the Timbers struggle on the road uh, for a while this season, not in their most yeah. recent road game at Salt Lake, but we've seen how the Timbers can sort of falter on the a road. A couple of blips on the radar, right? Houston, <laughs> more, yeah. Minnesota, Red Bulls going back to the beginning of yeah, the year. Yeah, more than a couple. And, and so I, I think that that's in one side, you know, that might be in my mind a little bit going to this. And the other thing is, you know, Dallas only has two losses at home this year. They, they've been good at home historically and home teams in knockout games in MLS have been good at home historically. 75% of the knockout games that have happened in MLS uh, since they instituted the format in 2011, the home team has won. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think on when you look at those areas, you think, oh, the Timbers are at a disadvantage going into this game. And then you look at Dallas's form. They lost the last three games of the regular season. They conceded two goals in less than 10 minutes at the very end of the game to Colorado to put themselves in the position that they're even playing in this fourth place game. And they're not, like we said earlier, they're not going to be well rested. And the Timbers are going to have their best lineup fully rested for this game. And so the, the two sides of this... Yeah, I, who do you, who you kind of end up saying has the advantage here? I love that you mentioned that stat about three and four home teams winning their knockout round games because it should immediately prompt in our mind, well, what are the circumstances that allowed those 25% to win? Those are the aberrations. Those are the exceptions to the rule. What made them the exceptions to the rule? And we haven't done all the research, but you have to be thinking, well, there has to be something about form that transcends those uh, rankings that transcends those seedings that made it so those those worst seeded teams were in a better position than those higher seeded teams. There has to be something about the matchups that lent themselves to the upset happening. There maybe there was an injury situation or some other thing that's going on. And I think the most salient point here is that normally when you have a better seeded team, I never know whether to say higher or lower because people kind of juxtapose those or interchange those when they're talking seedings. But when you have a a seeding that is better, a team that's hosting, you automatically assume they're the better team. And that will lend itself to something like a three and four advantage when you take into account home field. But I just don't know anybody that would look at the last month of play of these two teams and really say that Dallas is the better team. I think home field counts for something. But the question for me isn't so much can the Timbers overcome home field, but whether home field can overcome the advantages that the Timbers carry into this game. And I don't know, but to me, that seems like the most more salient way to look at this. I, I, to your point, last year, two uh, road teams won in the knockout round. So that was by far the half and half. Last year was the best year for the road teams. So Columbus won in Atlanta, and then who else? And then the New York Red Bulls won in Chicago, or Bridgeville. Okay, so that so that second one, I think, is a good example. Because Chicago one of the best teams in the league throughout the first half of last season. And then come the end of the year, they were the team you wanted to face in the playoffs. Dallas is a little bit like that right now. The second one was just Greg Berhalter beating Atlanta. Like props to Greg Berhalter. You went in, you beat the more talented team. This is why you're in part of the reason why you're in position for the U S men's national team job. And it was on penalties, wasn't it? Either on extra time or penalties. I'm not, I'm not seeing the full score here, but... Yeah, this is when we do research on the fly. You get research on the fly. But it was definitely not in 90 minutes. I can. But I think that going into that game, that uh, Chicago Red Bulls game, that people were picking Red Bulls. And nobody was surprised that Red Bulls came through. And I don't think it's quite as drastic this time. I think there is some doubt coming to this game. But I think generally, 
nobody's going to be surprised if the Timbers win this one. And in fact, like I said before, I think there's going to be some disappointment on the Timbers part if they don't win this one. Yeah, I, I think this is the best possible matchup the Timbers could have had if they were going to be the fifth seed. Obviously, if they had moved up, we had talked about it. Facing yeah. Salt Lake, that would have been great. But barring that happening, if they were going to be in this position of the teams that were above them in the standings that they could potentially face, they didn't want to face Seattle, not with how hot they are. They didn't want to face Kansas City with how they're playing LAFC. There might have been some better options in there. We could have given reasons. But Dallas was the clear team that I I think any team in this position would have wanted to face. And to be for real, nobody thought that that six seed was going to be RSL. Everybody thought you were going to be having to play Zlatan. Which I, yeah, which I think many would have said based on that, that that was not the option the Timbers right. would even want, even over facing Dallas. Right. No, I think in talking to people at other teams, Dallas was the team you wanted. If LA Galaxy leapfrogged RSL, you'd much rather play Dallas, even if it meant going to Dallas, than having to roll the dice on your defense stopping Zlatan. Now, props to Houston. They came back in that second half, eliminated the Galaxy. <laughs> and I definitely, if I were a team, I'd rather be facing RSL than Dallas right now, especially if you're hosting RSL. But I think the point holds that if you were if you were an organization, which place would you rather be in right now? Would you rather be in Portland shoes, playing well, having rested your team, feeling like you've got something figured out going into the postseason? Or Dallas's shoes where you don't have anything figured out, you're not rested, but you have a home game? I'd much rather be in the Timber situation. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think Dallas has been in maybe the complete free fall or anything like that. I think the last three games have been bad before that. I think it was a little bit better for them, but given both sides of it, I, I would agree that I, I think that at least the, the home field advantage is sort of nullified at this point. Yeah. I think the scarier thing for Dallas, because one of the games that they lost was at DC United. No shame in that. In fact, they only lost one to nothing, which looks kind of good compared to how the Timbers performed there. But getting blown out at home by a Sporting yeah. Kansas City three to nothing, losing at Colorado in what they approached as a must win or needed to win game. Those are the results that are more concerning. The fact that they allowed five goals in those games is very concerning because we've known for a while especially coming into the game that Dallas had at Providence Park that ended 0-0. Dallas was going to have trouble scoring goals. They were in a situation where they really didn't know what their attack was doing. They didn't know who their best parent attack was. We saw in that game they started, started Christian Coleman and Maxi Arruti. Dominic Baji didn't start that game. They were still figuring things out in the departure after the departure of Mauro Diaz, and I think they're still in that place. Yeah, Arruti is like their playmaker now or something. Right, exactly. Um, and I think probably Lamar is their dang- most dangerous player at this point. But at least their defense still looked good. Their defense has now given up five goals in two games. If Dallas can't defend, I'm not sure what they have. So going back just to how the Timbers have done against Dallas this season, I don't know how much it really plays into what's happening right now, given the form of both teams. Um, Although I think the most recent meeting, as you mentioned, was only a a few weeks ago. Timbers went to Dallas in March. Uh, I I think that was the beginning of after the first two games. The Timbers are starting to turn things around. They drew one-to-one. Maybe their most important game of the year. Yeah, And then they played Dallas to scoreless draw at home, which... I, I think there was positives and negatives of that, given that it was at home, but given that... That's when the great Chara debate really got into, uh, came into yeah. the forefront, because he got started at the side of a diamond, and yeah. everybody's like, oh, he should be a six, and oh, he's actually good as an eight. It's like, well, did he play a six or an eight? I'm not actually sure. It's like, it's kind of neither. I don't know. But 
that game, I thought the Timbers outplayed Dallas. I thought they generated a no- number of good chances on the counter. Um, I thought it was overall a kind of conservative game by both teams. Uh, but I think one of the things that we've alluded to that's going to be different this time, or very well could be different, is the Timbers played a 4-3-1-2, a diamond midfield in that game. I don't know how they're going to play on Wednesday, but I think the betting money is that they're going to play a 4-2-3-1 in this upcoming game. So kind of like you were hinting at, what do we take from the first two games to apply to this one? They're going to be playing a third different formation in as many games against Dallas. So I don't know. Yeah, I I don't think there's a ton we can take, um, except that at least a few weeks ago, the Timbers were able to, you know, sort of go toe-to-toe with them. But I I don't even think that game, there's going to be too much um, that we can take from that. It's going to be a different game. It's a playoff game. Both teams are fighting for their life, and those are inherently different. And I, I think both teams are in a different spot than they even were a month ago. Well, and the Timbers have Lucas Milano back. 2015 hero put that game away the second leg of the conference finals away when dallas was surging it was 4-3 lucas milano comes scores that goal 5-3 on aggregate that's the secret weapon so, here, right? so is your prediction that lucas milano is going to score the game winner and then everyone's going to be saying let's bring him back sign a new contract <laughs> give more of a new contract right now i'm not saying i'm changing our show notes i'm just saying look away for a while and stall while i change our show notes <laughs> um I think let's go to some listener questions, uh, unless there's anything else you have to add on the game right now. No, I'd much rather be taking listener questions than coming up with original thoughts. I think this goes back to what we were sort of just touching on, but Nicholas asks, do the Timbers go back to the double pivot with Char and Guzman for next game? It seems like the 4-2-3-1 looks a lot better now that the team understands what Gio wants from them. Um, And he says, particularly in terms of pressing. Uh I think they do. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do, but I think they should. I think the team um, is buying into the four two three one. I think that's very important. I think the four three two one was good too, but I think the team has evolved to this point. I think it's kind of weird because, like, you and I, I think throughout this season of the show, had always been talking about it, and we've been asking geo questions consistent with the idea that the attack would be an evolution, that they had to regress to the four three two one, and eventually they've got to grow out of it. And we had a couple of shows where we were doubting it, and I think I outright said they lost, they ran out of time to go to a four two three one. But now that they're here, I think this is it. I think they have a four two three one they can use. They have a four three one two the diamond midfield that they can use too. And I think uh, those are the options. And I, I I would bet on this one they go to a four two three one. And kind of like Nicholas hints, I think part of the reason it works is because the players are buying in and they understand it and they've used the principles that they've been instilled with throughout the year to apply to this new formation. Uh, new or old, depending on what right. you want to say. Right, this recycled formation. <laughs> recycled How's that? formation, the formation that they used throughout the Caleb Porter era. I think, yeah, I think now that the defense doesn't necessarily, and I think I've said this before, now the defense doesn't necessarily seem to need quite as much cover as it did mm-hmm. at the point in the season when Savaresi went to the four-three-two-one. I, I think this formation allows the Timbers to be a little bit more dangerous in the attack, and it seems to be something that they are bought into, that they are using effectively and have been able to do. As we've said, it was really the first team only trying this formation against RSL twice. They haven't really tested it against other teams. But given that that's the same formation we saw even with the second team against Vancouver, I I, I feel as if that's the formation that Savaresi has sort of settled on at this point. There, he, I would not be surprised to see him continue to tweak things, especially you know make in-game changes even if it's not working. But I think we're going to see the four-two-three-one tomorrow. Yeah, I agree, and I think part of the virtue of the four-two-three-one is that. You can adapt it in game so that you're actually not playing a four two three one. You're changing it to like a 
a 4141 or a 433, and it's actually still kind of the same system. You're just having players adapt, and it's really easy to adapt on the fly with that. Eric asks, have we not had great success with our forwards in the MLS era? Adi accepted. We have not. He didn't ask that part as a question. Is Portland bad at evaluating striker talent, or is it just really hard slash small sample size? I think this is a great question. Yeah. I mean, I think I would take a little bit of exception with the the fact that Audi is the only example of a good four that the Timbers have had. See, I, this is what I thought, too. But I also thought all the examples that you might bring up are, are legitimately debatable. I just maybe side on the positive I side. I mean, Max, the team the Timbers facing tomorrow is a four. I, I mean, the Timbers Ryan, didn't. I thought Ryan Johnson had a good year when he was here. Ryan Johnson had a good year when he was here. I think he had nine goals. He, he was effective for the Timbers. And, and it was a year that they won the West, finished first in the Western Conference and made a good playoff run. Yeah. He was an effective option for them, even though I, I think he was some, to some degree in and out of the lineup. He was not. Necessarily, it seemed like Caleb Porter's preferred option. But when he was in there, he was effective. And I, I think that Yerudi, the Timbers didn't bring Yerudi to MLS. They acquired him from another MLS team. But he clearly developed in Portland and was a huge part of their 2015 run and, and went on to Dallas. And, and we look at what he's done. He's been a consistent starting forward in this league and has been successful overall. Um, it currently is da- leading Dallas in both goals and assists. Mm-hmm. So Adi basically spans half of uh, Portland's MLS existence. Yeah. Another one of those years, Ryan Johnson. I think it's debatable. If you want to call him a success, I would call him a success. Fine. If you want to call him a failure, I think the numbers maybe say that you might be I right there. I think he too. was fine. I just don't think that he was ever going to be the long-term solution. So yeah. maybe you might want to call him a failure for that reason. I think Armenteros, I would tend to think that he has not had a good year. But when you look at his goals per minute numbers, they're actually going to be decent. It's just like come the end of the year. I think this is the thing, reason why I cited on you kind of want to give him a little bit more of a ugh rating is because come the end of the year, he's not the starter. So, hey, you put up decent goal per minute numbers compared to the Timbers history. But where were you at the end of the season? And maybe in that respect, we should be giving Jeremy Obobese bonus points because he is the starter at the end of the year. I... I just think that given the fact that the two of the four years that were, or three or four years that we're talking about here where the Timbers didn't have good forwards were at the beginning of their MLS era when expansion teams are trying to figure things out, I think we maybe should say that this is a sample size or a slightly biased sample here and um, maybe just keep our minds open because, yeah. yeah. I think it's a small sample size because Audi has been the the, the Ford here for a while yeah. and uh, up until this year. I think Chris Boyd clearly was a miss. I, I think that was John Spencer's guy and it really, really didn't pan out. I don't know if you really put the blame completely on Gavin Wilkinson for that because I, I think that, that was John Spencer really pushing for him. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole organization has to shoulder that one. Yeah. Um, much the same way that, you know, the fact that Kenny Cooper didn't work out too. Like, okay, where did that happen? I mean, as in most organizations, I get the feeling it's like somebody comes up with a name, you discuss it, you make a decision as a group, you live with the decision as a group. Yeah, Year one and year two clearly did Mm -hmm. not work out in terms of the forward situation. But I think overall, since then, the Timbers have been, um, I think Audi was a great signing. I I think Yerudi was a good signing. I think the Timbers have done okay, if, if not well, given that Audi was such a good signing for them in terms of acquiring forwards. But I think it is a small sample size, and we're going to have to see what it looks like in the long run. Obviously, Milano, who 
is a forward or a winger, depending on where you want to put him on the field. Uh-huh. That was not a good designated player well, signing, even if he's back now. And Lucas whatever. Milano is scoring a goal every 63 minutes this year. <laughs> he's assisting on a goal every <laughs> yes, 63 minutes I've, this year. I heard that on Twitter or something. Yeah. I it's still at, was, at MLS. <laughs> At MLS Graphics. Lucas Milano was a bad designated player signing. He would have had different um, expectations had he not been the $5 million guy that he was. But for the money that it cost for them to acquire him, that he was a designated player, he was not a good signing for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, like I said, I think the sample size is too small to really tell if the Timbers are bad at evaluating striker talent. I think they have had some misses, but they also, I, I, I think had a really really good um signing with audi and and a few other decent signings that that i think panned out okay no but that's why i love this question because as we talk this out and you and i are in agreement i'm actually not really convinced by our arguments (laughs) i mean i'm convinced that's how i feel but i'm disappointed neither you nor i are articulating ourselves better and we're probably not articulating ourselves better because it probably is a 50 50 proposition at this point and uh why don't eric if you get back in touch with us in two or three years and ask the same question uh, I will try to get you some kind of gift certificate to the Timbers or Thorns team store as just a thanks for sticking with us that long because we're probably going to have a better answer at that time too. <laughs> so you probably deserve some kind of uh, some kind of uh, recognition of your patience for us taking three years to adequately answer, <laughs> answer a question. question. But uh, Nicholas comes back with another question and it's kind of an offshoot. Is Armenteros bad or in a slump? I don't think Armenteros is bad because I think we've seen his history coming here that he is a goal scorer. I, I think he is in a massive slump. I think we've seen, I mean, like you said, some of it has to do with matchups. Armenteros is a certain type of player. He's not going to be the perfect matchup for every single team that the Timbers are facing. But at the same time, he is just in a slump. It, ever since, it seems basically ever since the Audi trade, and I don't know what... The reasoning for that is, but it seems basically since Audi left, hmm. Armenteros, I mean, he's only scored one goal and it was a, a game or two after. And it was a gift by Bill Hamid. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, for forwards, when we're talking about 10 or 12 game samples, of course you want to look at goals. But when the goals aren't there, you really want to look at whether they're generating chances to see maybe they've just had some bad luck. Maybe the finishing isn't there, maybe et cetera. The chances aren't there. Either. Yeah, the chances aren't there. Yeah, like if you were to, I mean, I'm sure there. I know there are sites out there that tracked expected goals, and I haven't looked it up, but I'm pretty sure Samuel Armenteros expected goals aren't very convincing either. So I think that's that's the hard part here when you're trying to assess whether Armenteros is bad or just in a slump. I tend to think like slump would be accompanied by some higher expected goal totals, some chances that just didn't develop, some near misses. We're not seeing those. Like, if you told me that Samuel Armenteros did not touch the ball within 30 yards of goal this weekend, I wouldn't have been surprised. I I can't even remember a time that he did. Took one shot in the game. I don't remember it. It was think, all, it wasn't on target. It was a. I think it was a, a headed chance off a corner kick, um, and I think he was like the second option on that kick as far as targeting is concerned. I might be misremembering, but I think the question is a good one, and I think that it's going to be a uh, interesting decision what happens this offseason because, as Jamie has talked about a lot, as we've talked about on the show, picking up Samuel Armenteros is buy option from Serie A doesn't just entail making a decision on a player. It's a huge roster management issue regarding the scarce resources that MLS allocates all these teams. Yeah, and I'll I'll be more uh, direct on my opinion on that. I don't think Samuel Armenteros is coming back. Yeah? I I mean, I I don't think... I think he had some... I think 
Vancouver was a big opportunity for thing for him. He yeah. has to prove himself because this slump or whatever it is, is it a mentality thing? Is it a work ethic thing? You, I, you don't really know what's causing it. Mm-hmm. He clearly was capable of scoring goals in this league, but the way he's played in, in since I, August, it, it's just not good enough to waste a DP contract on, I, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I won't go be as strong as you, but I think we're in the same place if bringing him back means making him a designated player you don't do that without a better understanding as to what has gone wrong these last three or four months and even then i don't know that there's an explanation that really makes you comfortable allocating your third and final designated player spot to him uh one more question and and then we'll move on um chris wants to know after t2's excellent season which of their players are likely to be on first team contracts next year hmm um, I can tell you the ones that I I would sign because, to be honest with you, I haven't gotten a lot of insight on this yet. And it's the players that we've talked about all year. I mean, every time I get asked about T2, and I kind of regret the tone I took earlier this year because sometimes when we were in the middle of the great Timbers forward debate and we were talking about whether Obobese and Foster Langsdorf should be promoted to, from T2, I would kind of say, well, look, if you're watching T2, you should really be watching Marvin Loria and Renzo Zambrano. Well, now let me change tone a little bit. I think Marvin Luria and Renzo Zambrano are really good players and that they should be on the first team next year. Those are the first two. And I think pretty much the rest of the players that were major contributors for T2 this year were already on MLS contracts. Yeah, I mean, the reminder, Foster Langsdorf is on an MLS contract. Obviously, right. Abobasi, who when he was playing for them, still on an MLS contract. Marco Farfan. I mean, a lot of these players are on MLS contracts. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's clear for me, too. Those are the same guys I would mention. Um, yeah, Kendall McIntosh on an MLS contract. I think so. the only one that you haven't mentioned, the, the ones that you haven't mentioned that come to mind are Eric Williamson's possibility of coming back from Portugal. Yeah. They have an option to bring him back in January. He hasn't played yet in Portugal. So read into that what you will regarding Gavin Wilkinson and Giovanni Savarese's potential decision. And then I think Modijodama is a good defensive depth piece. Um, but when you're trying to project out who's getting playing time next year, central defense is still, even if some potential moves that have been discussed play out, it's still going to be a very deep position next year. And Jadama's on a first-team contract, which I think is uh, maybe forgotten every so often. So I want to make sure we clearly say that. But yeah, I I think the guys that aren't, Loria and Zambrano, those are the obvious choices. Now, here is something interesting for fans out there. You go to the Timbers website, you see their 30-person roster right now. Go ahead and take all the names that we've talked about and add them to that roster and then try to get the team back down to 30 with the idea that maybe they might want to go get a designated player. Maybe they might want to go get a central defender who can compete for a starting spot next year. Once you add those things in there, look at the roster crunch that is ahead for T2 and uh, make some decisions of yourself. Play Fantasy Gavin on this one (laughs) and see some of the tough decisions that... uh, Gavin Wilkinson has over the next three months. Well, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think there are going to be some tough decisions. I think some of them are, might even be decided in preseason, and we might see some of these guys come in still, not really what what contract they're going to get, and, and maybe it play out in preseason. Arboleda is still on the first team. I don't expect to see him coming back. But And, uh, you know, Arboleda and Jake Gleason are both in a situation where their injuries are yeah. at a point where we can't even tell what their progression is going to be. But, I mean... Credit to you for bringing this up a couple of times over the last month. How T2 performed this year was incredibly encouraging. And in and of itself, at a USL level, that's a great story. But the curiosity beyond 2018 goes to how the best players from T2 can start making a bigger impact on the first team in the coming years. And a couple of these players that we've mentioned, 
it seems like it's their time to make a bigger impact next year. I personally think Marvin Loria is in a position right now where he would be an effective person as your first or second player off the bench at MLS level right now. I think Marco Farfan needs to get some more time. We talked about that before. Eric Williamson certainly has the talent. Foster Langsdorf is dealing with a little bit of a roster issue as far as the depth chart is concerned. But there are a number of players, including Kendall McIntosh, who maybe is ready for a full backups role that you would expect to be given a chance to be regular Timbers next year. So now it's time for the Chris Reifer Memorial Hot Take Interlude. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Jamie. I'm looking at our hot takes here, and I'm going to go first on this one, only because it seems like you've had to go first nine out of ten times, <laughs> so I'll build into this. I'm going to just um, – this isn't so much a hot take. It'll end with a hot take for some people, but it's more of an anecdote uh, I got from the sidelines this weekend because I just thought it was hilarious. So there was a moment early in the game, and we've alluded to it before, where Samuel Armenteros goes down, spends a couple minutes down as he's grabbing his right ankle. Timbers start to get mad because play isn't stopped. Vancouver's not kicking the ball out of bounds. This is where we mentioned there's actually no rule where you have to play the ball out of bounds, so the Timbers probably should play on. But early in the second half, Alfonso Davies goes down. He's grabbing his face. The official immediately stops play. Timbers bench. What is going on? First half, Armenteros goes down. You don't do anything. Now Alfonso Davies is down, and immediately you're up in arms. You blow the whistle. Kai Kamara, the showman that he is, he comes over to the bench. He says, hey, 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 everybody, I know the answer. Points back to where Armenteros went down. $1 million. Points to Alfonso Davies. $13 million, alluding to the reported transfer fees or the transfer fees that Kai Kamara had in his mind at the time, basically saying, hey, when when Alfonso Davies goes down, we stop everything. When your guy goes down, eh, not so much. Um, and the way he delivered it was less banterous and more just kind of like... Uh, a joke and everybody laughed and if you go back to the tape you can see lucas milano and kai kamara immediately kind of hugging and lucas kind of saying that was that was kind of funny and everything it immediately alleviated the mood just to kind of like to highlight how absurd everything was but i wanted to use this opportunity to not only relay that story because it's one of the funnier things i've seen from the sidelines this year but also to remind people that you know kai kamara has had a couple of things happen in his career that has have allowed people to try to portray him in a certain way and i think his departure from columbus the way that it happened after the incident where he and federico iguain were arguing about who to take a penalty who's going to take a penalty kick i think that allowed people to form certain impressions of kai kamara but there's a reason that kai kamara has been around this long there's a reason he has over 100 mls goals there's a reason why he is really well liked and that story right there is a big part of the reason so i just think that um kai kamara i think he's seventh all time in mls goals i think he's an underappreciated mls legend see i don't necessarily disagree and maybe that's i don't know his personality quite as well so that was a really great story uh, i haven't had a ton of opportunities to talk to him but obviously going covering the 2015 mls cup final i mean yeah. that he he was in I mean, Columbus had a lot of good players, but oh, he was above uh, anyone else on the, on that team, and that was clear going to that game. I think, he, oh, man, it's. I was about to make some parallels with other players, but Kai is just a, you know, he's got a very unique story as a refugee who came over here early. He went through the U.S. college system. He knows MLS soccer. He played in the Premier League for a little bit. He played in the championship. He's represented Sierra Leone at uh, international level. I mean, and he's just. I mean, he's more of an NBA personality than an MLS personality. And quite frankly, MLS needs more NBA NBA personalities. 
Well, that's I think that's a better hot date. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamie, give me yours. Okay. Um, I think that MLS should have thrown the television schedule out the window and said, we don't care about that. We're going to decide when the teams are going to play knockout games based on other factors. For example, how far they have to travel and things that actually impact on, the players based on the it field. On logic? Yes, they should have based it on logic <laughs> instead of basically saying, oh, two of these games are going to be on national on Fox and one's going to be on ESPN and one game we don't care about. So that fourth game we don't care about is going to go wherever mm-hmm. there's a spot open. And that was Timbers Dallas because no one cares about Frisco, Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I, that's not true, but I, I do imagine the crowd tomorrow is not going Ooh. to be that big that could have that could have been our bet at the end of this like what's the over under on the attendance tomorrow uh yeah so i don't think that was the national tv scene they were looking for um but yeah so the timbers are playing wednesday after playing sunday all the teams of course played sunday but the timbers have the longest trip of any of the teams traveling for knockout games and and it's really not close the timbers are traveling thousands of miles i I think everyone else is in the hundreds of miles essentially that they're traveling yeah it's um but the Timbers don't get that extra day. And that's why the Timbers were on a flight back from Vancouver on Sunday night and back on an airplane on Monday afternoon, less than 24 hours in Portland. So I think MLS, I I know that TV schedules take priority. And I imagine that's pretty much how they made these decisions, but I think they should have taken into consideration just the impact on players and the travel schedule and, and looked at those kind of reasoning without immediately deferring to what TV wanted. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like I need to keep learning more about the reasoning behind this, but there's only one team that has to travel over two time zones during this knockout round period, and it's the Timbers. And they were obviously traveling home on Sunday too. And it'd be a little bit different, I think, if they weren't on a plane at the time or on a bus toward a plane at the time that they found out that they were going to have to travel two time zones and make a decision about, are we going to fly Tuesday or or Monday? We're going to fly Monday. I mean, we're going to give our players the normal two days uh, when you're traveling that far. It's You alluded to it. It's 2,400 miles between Portland and Dallas. So, I mean, I, I honestly don't think it's going to impact the game at all. But at the same time, I agree with you. Like, why not default to having the teams that have to travel the farthest get the most rest? I do think it's an interesting topic when people in Portland, because obviously Portland is rightfully proud of its attendance figures, when they tune in to the game on Wednesday and they see the sparse, sparse crowd that is not driving out of Dallas on Halloween, is not driving out of Dallas for an 8.30 kickoff, is not driving in what is currently being forecast as showers during that time. I mean, for people who don't know how far the stadium that FC Dallas plays is plays in is from Dallas, like drive out to McMenville, basically. It's not quite that far, but it's closer to McMenville than Wilsonville. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a trek. And so you're talking about on a school night when your kids want to go trick-or-treating anyway. I don't know. It, maybe 10,000 people tomorrow? Yeah, I, I would be surprised to even see 10,000 with the weather. Yeah. It's supposed to be lightning storms in the morning, potentially. It looks like not around game time, thankfully. Um, but rain, Halloween... And the short notice. I mean, families that were short already notice, planning right. to take their kids trick-or-treating aren't suddenly going to tell their 10-year-old kid or 
eight-year-old kid, hey, we're not going trick-or-treating. We're going to a soccer game. Yeah. You don't get your candy. I, so I, I think it's going to be difficult for families. It's a midweek game. It's a team that is not, I think, 20th in MLS in attendance already in the regular season um, <sighs> when there's less conflicts. I, yeah, I think like 8,000 maybe. But no. we'll see. Maybe maybe the Dallas fans will come out. No, I think I um I did a story on this like six or seven years ago at a previous 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 employer, and I talked to a couple of presidents of teams because it was bad television when people tuned in. And I think that year Chicago was hosting a midweek playoff game. It's in Bridgeview, not Chicago. Houston was still playing in the pre BBVA Compass era. Uh, and so the presidents of those teams were just like very frank about it. It's like, we have no chance to market these games beforehand. We're in a suburban venue. Like we just can only do what we can do. And at the time, I think I wrote the piece that like, oh, MLS needs to think about scrapping these midweek turnaround games. Like if you, if you have a significant portion of teams that just can't market them, that just can't sell them, why are you doing them? And that argument never took hold, and I honestly kind of don't even believe it anymore because enough teams have come into the league where those teams are a very, very small minority. But we're going to be at that very, very small minority tomorrow night, Jamie. Yeah, I, I do expect the Lone Star Brigade to come out because they always have in the past. Yeah. Uh, so I think I will. I'm expecting their Timbers to have a pretty good little section. Oh, I no, I imagine people are going to hear them on the mics tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be the ambient noise tomorrow. And so, um, c- congratulations to the Lone Star Brigade. I'm already congratulating you because I know <laughs> you're going to show up, Jamie. We normally spend some time right now to talk about the Thorns, but. Although the W League season has started and Thorns players are in action down there, there isn't really that much Thorns to cover at this point. Caitlin Ford had a brace in her first game. Celeste Bure was named Woman of the Match for Brisbane Roar in her first game. Aside from that, we're kind of, uh, I don't want to say business as usual for the Thorns, but no business for the Thorns right now. Yeah, I, I think at some point in this offseason, we'll start getting some more Thorns news, but for the moment... Oh, I mean, just so people know, uh, Adriana French got called into the next camp. Yes, that so is true. I think, uh, I think that at this point, whenever there isn't a limited roster like they had for the CONCACAF Championship, for people who don't know, only 20 players were called into that. Uh, well, actually, more than 20 players were called into that camp, but only 20 players were active. AD French was training with the team the whole time, but she didn't make the 20-person roster for the tournament. Uh, there's no such limit on games coming up against Portugal and Scotland. AD French is the third goalkeeper for the tournament. Jamie, without the thorns, we go straight to predictions. You certainly are going to predict a Timbers triumph because <laughs> that's what you do. You look at things objectively and you always side with, well, logic, uh, yeah, yeah. logic right? <laughs> I don't know where you went on that, but I am going to predict a Timbers triumph. Logic. Uh, I, I think, as we talked it, talked it out earlier, I, I think the Timbers are going to be well-rested for this game. I don't think I think they're in better form than Dallas. Yeah. And so I, I, think, I, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I, I think this is going to be a hard-fought game, but I think the Timbers are going to find a way to get it done. I'm going to predict 2-1 to one Timbers win. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here saying logic because... I always try to lead you into an answer for these things, but I don't think there is a clear answer. I actually think whichever team scores the first goal is going to win. I should have made that my side bet. I didn't. Uh, But I think maybe you can see where I'm seeing this game going by the side bets that I am making. I think Dallas is going to outshoot Portland in this one. I think they're going to outpossess Portland. I'm going to put a number on it, 54%. I think they're going to have at least 54%. Uh, If you want to read between the lines on that to figure out what I think the prediction for the game is going to be, that's fine. I do feel very strongly, given the characteristics of these two teams and these two coaches, 
that the first goal in this game, while always important in any soccer game, is going to be extremely important in this one, which I think I just guarantee there's going to be a back and forth shootout now. (laughs) So that'll be good for the fans. Not good for my prediction, but I, I do believe that. All right, so the fantasy update. And we have winners for the fall of Fantasy League with the regular season ending. Um, we also had spring winners. Um, so Jamie, there's a name missing from I this know. list. What happened? I don't know. Jamie Goldberg FC uh, fell off. Jamie oh B. Goldberg gosh. FC. This is heartbreaking. Unfortunately, I know. I was really heartbreaking. I, I've, had a, I've had a chance to process. I had oh my 24 gosh. hours since I've seen these. So I didn't realize I was a Jamie Goldberg FC supporter until right now, but now, you know, you got to live and die in these moments <laughs> and die in these moments. And I'm, I feel dead right now. Well, to say who's actually won in the fall, um, the final standings for the fall fantasy, uh, third place was flicking Portland PTSC. Armand terrors was in second and blood bath and beyond finished in first uh, for going back a few months, our spring winners, as a reminder, uh, in third were Fake Plastic Team, in, in second Geostorm FC, and in first Beer City FC, Richard's favorite team. That's my favorite team. So congratulations to Beer City FC and Bloodbath and Beyond, our Apertura and Clausura winners for this. <laughs> um, if you guys want to meet at a local pub and arm wrestle, you get to decide who's the overall winner this year. Yeah. Um, also, we have some prizes for all six of you guys if you want them. They're they're meaningless, fun, basically not worth anything prizes, but kind of a grab bag of old stuff that our former host, Chris Reifer, has lying around. Oh, old, cool. old training jerseys or things like that. I'm not exactly sure what's in there. <laughs> but if you guys want to message uh, me... Um, on Twitter or Soccer Made in Portland. On Twitter, just send me a direct message and um, we'll figure out a way to get you guys uh, something from that grab bag if you want a prize uh, for finishing in the top three on either spring or the fall. Congratulations um, to y'all. So, yeah. And on that note, they're getting prizes. We'll see if the Timbers are on their way to getting any sort of yeah. silverware uh, in the coming weeks um, or months more so. <laughs> Either way, we'll be back next week with another podcast, hopefully previewing another game as well as reviewing a second game uh, as the Timbers, if they win on Wednesday, will be playing on Sunday at Providence Park. And if not, we'll be talking about what went wrong on Wednesday and what the team needs to do going into the next year, but we will be back next week. (laughs) Yeah, so we have no idea what we will be talking about yet. But for now, that's all for this week. We're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on uh, OregonLive.com, Footy, and Timbers.com, and you can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care.